Welcome to the Embrace Your Weird podcast. My name is Lisa Jacob. This is the place where we talk about authenticity, anxiety, and what happens when we stop pretending. Hi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. If you listened to the first season of this podcast, you know that it all took place inside my closet. And I loved that. Uh, you know, I, so I had heard from a friend of mine that it was good to do that for sound purposes, but I am approximately 96% introvert, so my closet is one of the happiest places pretty much in the world for me, so I was really happy to do the podcast from there. But for season two, I ventured out of my closet. So I did one episode with a, a combat veteran that was out in Colorado. I, I did another episode with a singer-songwriter, and we were in Chicago for that one. And so this episode is kind of funny because I, I have ventured out of my closet once again, but I have ventured into another closet. So I'm once again sitting in a closet on the floor surrounded by clothes and a dog but it, it's not actually my dog this is Lulu who is joining us today but Lulu's not gonna be actually doing much of, of the interview it's mostly going to be with my dear friend Cecily Armstrong so I'm very excited for this interview because Cecily has been incredibly helpful for me throughout the last probably almost a decade of my life. It's, it's, it's been quite a while that I have known Cecily and um, she has just been an incredible gift to my life. So I started off working with Cecily as she was kind of my, my coach and therapist kind of person, helping me through uh, some challenges I was having. And she did so spectacularly and gave me some amazing tools for managing my life. And we worked together for quite some time. And then there was just kind of this, this moment that was a shift where I kind of went, I sort of want to be friends. And that's at this point more important than having her be like my coach person. So we kind of shifted. And I'm so grateful that we did because she is an amazing person and an amazing friend and a wonderful support for me in my life. And I wanted to share her with, with you all because I think she has such important things to say on a variety of topics. And so I wanted you to know her. I am not going to put labels on her or, or kind of box her in because what she, what she does is kind of hard to explain. And so it's too hard for me to figure out. So I'm going to let her do that. So um, with that, hi, Cecily. Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here in your closet. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my house and joining me in my closet for this really fun interview. <laughs> so we were wandering around Cecily's house trying to figure out where to do this. And I mean, just the closet was the the obvious place, and of it. I I particularly love the, just the authenticity of it because she didn't know we were coming to her closet, so there was no like trying to pretty it up. Like it's a real closet. I love that. Maybe I should make all my interview guests like I should just surprise them. Like, hi, we're doing this in your closet. 
I think that would be a really good way to break the ice and just get to know people inside and out. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So why don't we start off? Why don't you talk a little bit about what it is that you you do? I love 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 when people ask me that and simultaneously oftentimes my mind goes completely blank it's not just you that can't describe it and it really depends on the person um, when people come to me sometimes they come with a life challenge sometimes they come with something that's happening in their body and it's really just a way in to inner work and deeper work i've been calling myself an energy healer for about a decade and recently I've taken on more of the name of holistic wellness coach. It is hard to put what I do into a context and it, it can kind of shift a little bit. Sometimes I'm a hand holder, sometimes I'm an intuitive guide, sometimes I'm right down there in the trenches with you saying, go, 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 you've got this, you can totally do this. And so, and sometimes somebody's on a healing table, whether in my office or remotely, and they're receiving healing work. So we do sort of cover a lot of different terrains. One of the places that I'm working a lot right now is that uh, merger between little choices that you make every day, in particular with your diet and wellness. And with wellness, that's sort of an open-ended choices of kinds of situations you put yourself in, the kind of people you surround yourself with the kind of career you might have and where openings may be for more joy and love in mm. those opportunities, as well as the micro choices you make every day around simple things like, what am I going to have for lunch? So I was reading a study the other day, I think it was Duke University did this study, and they found that 45% of our daily activities are automatic. We don't think about them. They are just things that we do automatically because it's what we always do. So it's like half of our day is made up of things that are not very intentional. And there was something about that that got me. Like, I love this idea of thinking about the little choices and how much power there can be in that. Because I think we do tend to think, you know, what does it really matter if I just grab a bag of chips for lunch, or if I make a more intentional choice, it's just one choice. But those really do add up. And I think if we're putting ourselves in the mindset of making more intentional choices, that really does mean you're living a more intentional life. Hands down, 100% yes. I'm actually surprised that it was only 45%. You know, my sense is oftentimes we're kind of on rote. There's sort of a rote expression. You get up, you make coffee, you shower, you go to work, you have your day, you come home, there's the things you do on the way home, then you go to bed and you repeat it all again. And you're right about the small choices. And this is one of the things that really, um, like we're coming up towards the holidays and the new year, and the new year always kicks off this frenzy of people wanting to get in shape and lose weight and there's this big thing and I you know all of the studies point that by like January 28th most people have fallen off and yeah this is one of those things where you know if we're looking at making lifestyle changes most people will assume oh I have to do this big thing 
and it's like a big ordeal of sorts. And then what happens is either it won't work for them because it was way too big of a shift and too many things all at once, or they'll feel bad and then they'll make the decision that, you know, like I'm the loser because I can't do this big paleo thing or I can't make it through Whole30. There's something wrong with me. I don't have the willpower. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. And that's such a painful conclusion. And and actually, when you start highlighting the little choices, there's something that happens where it becomes more mindful and making, you know, over the course of a day, how many choices we make, you know, to make two or three to start with from a mindful place, intentional place, I am going to wake up today and I'm going to put some spinach into my breakfast little choice but you think about that little choice over a week over a month over a year over a decade and it really starts to add up what I love about that is that I feel like there's less internal resistance that's going to come up right with something really small you're kind of setting yourself up for success if it's something really small if it's something huge it's so easy for the mind to come up with things like, well, I don't have time or that sounds expensive or that feels like such a huge shift or like putting spinach into something like that's something doable. That that feels like that you're going to have less internal struggle. And, and then maybe once you do one or two things, then it, it does just all snowball from there. Snowballs. And I can't tell you how painful it is. Oftentimes people will come in, and I'm going to use a food analogy, but it can be with anything else. And they'll say, well, I've been doing this new thing, and I do really great. Like I'll do breakfast, and I'm putting lots of nutrients into my meal, and I'll get to lunch, and I, I make this beautiful salad, and I have a really good robust soup. And then I get through the afternoon, and I have an appropriate snack, and then dinner comes, and like the crap hits the fan. <laughs> like you know, and then again, there's that place of like, and I'm such clear, clearly I'm a failure or clearly I can't do this. Or there's all of the harshness that will come up of like, I don't have willpower. And it's like flipping that of like, oh my gosh, what a great day you've had. Right. Can we look at the whole of the day and how many choices you lined up so in your favor and yeah, so you got to dinner. Let's take it apart and look at what happened in the couple of hours before dinner. There's usually some kind of a something that went on there, either a stressful event or an extreme hunger event, or you went you know, to your yoga class and you staggered out afterwards and you were hungry, hungry, and not in the place where you could pause and make a great decision in that moment. You needed food in your body. And that was actually perhaps the best decision you could make was to go quote unquote off off whatever plan it was that you thought you were supposed to follow god there's so much compassion in that right that's what feels really good is <laughs> yeah you know like to make that assumption that I'm doing the best I can and you know like you would a friend or a colleague who's going through a change that you're there to encourage them and why would we not turn that light on ourselves Ugh, because we're not in the habit of it Right. Exactly. And that gets into, I mean, that is a whole topic. We could do an entire (laughs) podcast episode on that. Yeah. But this whole idea of having, having this compassion for other people and not practicing the same compassion for yourself, right? Like the shit we say to ourselves, 
we would never say to another living being. We just wouldn't. And so I know so many of us like to think of ourselves as kind, compassionate people. Well, does that still ring true according to what you're saying to yourself? And I think that's so hard because a lot of us have been beating ourselves up for such a long time that we don't even notice. It's this internal tape that we have had running for, you know, decades. And turning that around is is hard. Do you have any kind of thoughts on, on how we try to increase compassion for ourselves? Well, I think the first thing is just to really take a look. And it can help to have somebody to take a look with you. You know, to begin to point out, and and for me, that tape for most people kind of it runs under the radar. It's unconscious, and it is unquestioned reality. <laughs> and so, you know, when you can get somebody who's in the mode of being able to listen for, like, hey, wait, hold up, it feels like you know, let's question that reality a little bit. Are you really a really terrible, awful person because you were hungry and had pizza? instead of a salad you know and it's like shocking like you sort of like jump of like well no I mean I wouldn't call that a terrible horrible awful person move and that's like of course that's what you do when you're hungry and that's what you see in front of you you're going to make that decision and then you start questioning yeah the conclusions and peeling it back and yeah then the compassion comes also sometimes just even giving permission for the unconscious to become conscious Ooh, you know it's sort of something you you get to say to yourself over and over and over again whether you're in a quiet moment or driving or you're in the shower or you're after a yoga class or you're in your meditation that there's an invitation I am ready to see what I hold in my unconscious <laughs> and I invite it you know to come up into my conscious awareness yeah And then it can be a little hard because sometimes, you know, like when you realize I've really not been very kind. In fact, I've kind of been an asshole to myself. And then there's almost feels like a little bit of a grieving process of it's tender. Mm -hmm. And then then the new can start to come of, you know, maybe I am an okay person. Maybe I'm even better than an okay person. Maybe I'm. You know, maybe I'm a good person. Yeah. Maybe I am doing the best I can with this. Something that you and I have, have talked a lot about is this idea of, of 80-20. Mm. And again, I think there's a lot of compassion in, in 80-20. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, in 80-20, and I'm going to head right towards, you know, food choices again. Because that's how I use 80-20 idea mostly is, you know, the idea is 80% of the time you're making choices that are really going to put you in a good spot. So you're picking foods that you know exactly what they are. Like you put your hand on a head of broccoli, you know exactly what that is and you know what's in it. But you put your hand on a chicken nugget, it's like, I'm not exactly 100% sure all of what's in that. It's sort of a mix-up of things. You know, two totally different things. So making 80% of your choices from foods that you know are real. They're real food items. They grew in the ground. 
they walked on the earth and they're not processed. They're Mm -hmm. clear, they're clean, and they're straightforward. And then the 20% of the time, you get a pass. You get a pass. You're a good person. You're (laughs) a good person and you get a pass. (laughs) You're a good person and you get a pass. It's going to happen. You'll find yourself either really hungry, you'll find yourself rolling through an airport thinking that you had more time and you don't and you grab a bag of chips because you're hungry and that's okay you get a pass right you'll end up at a you know a holiday party and this wonderful person has invested time energy and love into making a spread of things that you're not real sure fit in with what you're doing and you're going to choose to do it anyways one to you know express your gratitude towards the host for their time and energy and putting that together for you and also because it's what's there and you can say thank you and call it your 20 percent for the day it's just so reasonable cecily <laughs> we can make it harder and i love yeah, it is reasonable and it's super doable it takes away a lot of the the inner tension that comes around well I have to do it this way and if I don't do it this way then it means I've done it wrong and if I've done it wrong then we're back to the bad person thing again one thing that you talk a lot about is intuitive eating so I would love it if you could talk a little bit about that and 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 help me to do that better (laughs) yes let's talk about that and I'm going to reference the 80 20 eating first You know, moving from the standard American diet, and the acronym for that is SAD. 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 It's a little sad. Most (laughs) most Americans, we, we kind of have been raised to eat in sort of a sad way. And so when you move from the standard American diet to an 80-20, sort of an experience where you're choosing 80% whole foods, 20%, you know, perhaps from the sad category, (laughs) (laughs) then you'll start to notice that you, you feel better and mm-hmm. you clear your slate. So let's say you stay with that for a few years and then you'll notice what begins to happen. And it doesn't have to be a few years, but oftentimes it is, you know, it's a period of time where the body calms down, the inflammation calms down. You start noticing you're more clear, you're more resonant. This other thing begins to come through and that is, I'm going to call, you know, more guided. So we love rules and ideas (laughs) and so there's this idea and it's kind of a fantasy that if I just follow this plan I'm going to feel great and my plan may feel very different from your plan and the two of us might have kind of a similar idea we're in a similar time in our life with similar energy expenditures but let's compare that to a 17 year old boy you know who's growing and let's take a you know, a 23-year-old pregnant woman and a 60-plus-year-old man who's, you know, very sedentary. And would we have them all follow the same plan? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And so this is kind of, this is what we do, though. Is right. This it's like, idea. this is the way you should eat. Yes. Hmm. And so when you start to move more into intuitive eating, there's very few rules. Your reference is inward. You're referencing internally rather than externally. So, you know, it's not unusual when you're moving into more of an intuitive eating that, you know, there's this rule or idea, I should have breakfast every day. And with an intuitive eating, you might wake up one day and realize you're not hungry. You might choose not to have breakfast based on your internal cues or saying, 
I'm really not in the space where I want food brought into my body right now. And you'd wait until you were hungry. And then at that point of the hungry, the question would be, and what is it that I would like to have? Might be 10 a.m. And you might decide that you really want a salad. That's what, you know, your mind sees. That's what your body says. And you don't question that. You go make the salad. And oftentimes there's this battle of like, well, it's early. It's morning. Like, can I have a salad at 10 a.m.? Like, is that legal? Yeah. Like, there's no salad, please. Yes, you can have salad at <laughs> 10 in the morning if that's what you're in the mood for. Same thing towards the end of the day. You know, you might have a day where you have a big meal in the middle of the day and you get towards dinner time and the clock says it's dinner time and people around you say, what's for dinner now? And you're like, I'm not really in the mood for dinner, but I have this beautiful bowl of berries that we picked and that's what I want. That it's less questioning outside and more internally referencing of what it is that works and then it gets a little complicated when you're in family dynamics and other things you know because there's other people saying what's for dinner right you know you can't say well we're all having berries tonight because it's what I want I mean you could beginning to start that conversation of referencing inward rather than externally referencing time rules um, expectations of others what if you reference inward and it, your body just always says you want Doritos? Does that ever happen? <laughs> well, see, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I love this question. It's like, well, is it my intuition or is there like a little gremlin in there that really likes Doritos? And I have a thing for products that are sprayed in spray cheese. Like if you could <laughs> hand me a bag of Cheetos and I could just lick the cheese off, I'd be a really happy girl in a certain mood. Luckily, I've grown out of that a little bit. But it's still sort of where I go back to. Yeah, so here's where the 80-20. Yeah. If you're moving out of more of a standard American diet, you absolutely need that time and space where you have fed your body real foods for a period of time because what happens is your taste buds change. Oh, yeah. And I don't know, perhaps you even want to share a little bit of your own experience with that, you know, of noticing over time that there's just a different set of things that you tend to be hungry for Mm -hmm. and once you get that space cleared where the inflammation in your body drops and you're more clear with what actually nourishes you rather than what depletes you so Doritos would be a really great example of a food it's kind of a food product I'm not even going to call (laughs) those food (laughs) yeah because you know you ingest said food product that actually takes your body more energy to digest, then it's going to give you in benefit. So you're kind of going backwards. Wow, that's that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, so that's not going to put you forward in your energy reserves. It's not going to put you forward. It's going to give you calories to fuel you, but it's going to aid you <laughs> at the same time. It's taking away. You're going negative on that transaction. Whereas you look at something like a big bowl of vegetables, different colors, different textures, maybe steamed underneath a beautiful sauce. You know, my mouth is watering. You know, just you look at that and you see the vibrancy and you see the vitality and you feel the goodness of it. And if you've cleared your palate enough where that actually does taste good, when you're moving off a standard American diet, you might look at something like that and think that's it. I remember having thoughts like that, like, oh, I need like a meal, like that's not going to work. And over time, your body learns like, oh, 
this is this is where it's at this is where the good stuff is and then you don't get the Doritos answer not all the time you might get it sometimes and you might trust it it's this switch that I think was really really powerful for me just as you were talking about like the the transaction and going <laughs> negative on the transaction with Doritos that mental emotional shift from thinking of food in terms of what tastes good, what feels comforting, what feels celebratory, and instead thinking of what is going to fuel me, what is going to make me feel good an hour after I eat it. And that, that was a pretty profound shift for me. Personally, I, I have been vegetarian since I was three, so it's been pretty much my, my entire life. But I was very much the Doritos vegetarian. And so making, making that shift to more of the whole foods was, was very, I mean, it was challenging for me, but I saw the rewards very quickly in terms of just all, whole body wellness. I mean, my anxiety went down and that's something I would love to talk more about because I think this, um, this connection between nutrition and, and mental health, I think is, is super important in the whole gut biome. And so I, I think making that shift was, was definitely a challenge for me, but I see now how it plays out. And I also believe that I just tried to, instead of saying there were foods that I couldn't have, I just sort of tried to flood my body with the foods I wanted to be eating more of. So what I found was that I just got full on the good things. <laughs> yes. And then I, I, I didn't really have space for, for the things that were not going to be as beneficial for me. So it's kind of like how they say with, you know, if you're trying to stop a habit, you can't just stop the habit. You need to replace it with something more beneficial. Yeah. So it feels sort of the same way to me. It is very similar. And when you think about, you know, think about the mass. Like if you took Doritos mm -hmm. and you put some water on them mm -hmm. and you let them sort of sit for a little bit, think of how much space those take up. Yeah. Like you're looking at sort of a slimy fluid that doesn't take up a lot of space. Yeah, that's pretty gross. It's a little gross. So you've got that in your mind. That's do. how that sits in your stomach. And look at a big bunch of broccoli and, you know, that big bowl of vegetables we described a little bit ago. When you move that into, you know, chewing and put that in your stomach, it takes up a lot more mass. You right. do feel full. Right. And you're actually filling yourself with something that is full of nutrients it's going to put you ahead in the transaction. And I love when you said um, thinking about not what you couldn't have, but focus, your focus was more on what you wanted to have more of. Mm -hmm. That's a very powerful statement. Most of us, when we're making changes, will put the focus in the light of on what we can't have. Mm -hmm. And almost immediately you go into a deprivation kind of a mindset rather than an abundance mindset. And when you're focusing on all the great things you do get to have and what you get to have more of, and it's not that you can't have it, it's just like, I'm just gonna wait and have that later. 
Yeah. It's different. It has a totally different feel where you're not having to fight yourself quite so much and you're not having to fight the way your mind works. I should mention that we're having delicious hot chocolate right now <laughs> as we sit in your closet. So, you know, there are there are ways to do this where yes. it's such a treat. Will you talk about what is in our hot chocolate, by the way? Yes. So it's cacao beans ground up and that's the whole form of chocolate before it gets alkalized and pressed. So you're just, it's a bean. It's a sacred food. <laughs> it's packed with calcium. So these are really great things for, you know, it's a building block. It's nutritious. And then it's coconut milk mm -hmm. and then a little bit of stevia. So it's a non-glycemic, low impact sweetener. And then a sprinkle of Celtic sea salt, which is what makes it light up. Oh, it's amazing. It's pretty good. And if you want to make it spicy, you can add a little sprinkle of cinnamon or cayenne. I mean, you can make it kind of grown up -y if you want, like a little <laughs> bit of like a Mexican hot cocoa. But there's lots of ways you can find. There's so many ways you can find to say yes to the things that you want to have without them taking a toll on your body. Yeah. And I mean, this is so much better than like Swiss Miss, right? <laughs> Swiss Miss is, and have you read the ingredients on that stuff? Yes. Like 80% of the Swiss Miss label, I don't even know what those things are in there. No. It's chemicals, one after the other. And it's like not to pick on that particular brand. I mean, flip over any brand and most of what you're finding. But that was where I figured out the salt. Well, it's salt. amazing. And I just think that it's really good to remember that it doesn't mean that you can't have fun things you know it doesn't mean that you're deprived if you're eating healthy no life is meant to be joyful and it's one of the reasons that I was so drawn to work with food is because it's such an intimate part of people's lives mm -hmm. and when you start thinking about it it can bring up anxiety it can bring up some really long-held emotions especially when you start looking at you know, choices over a lifetime and the impact that they have on how people feel and how they live their lives and the things that they choose to do and the things that they choose not to do and how many of us will hold ourselves back from really living fully into what it is that we're here to do, mm -hmm. like soul purpose, because of the way we feel about our bodies. It's one of the things that I love the most when working with clients is we go through a little bit of an audit of like, what are your favorite foods? And then we find the workarounds because there's something in those favorite foods that are the intuitive seeds of what that person needs more of. So you might look at somebody's intuitive foods and you'll see like, oh, this person really likes warm, creamy things that are salty and savory. So I'm starting to understand a lot about that person. And, oh, this person over here, they're, they're really like they could leave that hot, creamy stuff. They want something sweet wheat and rich and cold or you know so you start working through those things and then you start finding the workarounds where it can be yes to the craving and yes to the comfort and yes to the food and do it in a way that doesn't put you negative in the transaction it you know brings more robustness and more life right yeah all right let's talk about nutrition in terms of anxiety, depression, panic, all those fun things? Yeah, great question, Lisa. I want to be very mindful that I don't sound diagnostic, 
because what I'm really coming to appreciate is how very different it is from one person to the next. And that said, there are some general things that we do over and over and over again that can really exacerbate anxiety, panic. And when you start really noticing, to highlight that question you referenced earlier, is how does this food make me feel afterwards? Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't making that connection. It's like, I just had a full-blown anxiety attack. And what I'm real curious about is, well, walk me through the 30 minutes before that happened. Mm. Because oftentimes, or even back an hour, we can start to see that there are things that contribute. So caffeine is a known contributor. And that may be, you know, it doesn't have impact for a long time, and then one day it does. And that's so confusing. Like, why does that start? Sugar. It's really hard to make a case to keep refined sugar in people's diets. The body of research around it is is pretty intensive. And there's a really good film that's available on Netflix and maybe even YouTube. Amazon carries it called That Sugar Film. Okay. That is fairly entertaining and just walks a person through sugar and what it does actually physiologically in the body as well as emotionally. And I think it's a great point of reference. And it's entertaining. So it's not like you're watching a documentary and you're you're gaining a lot of information. Um, a lot of light bulbs go off with that movie. Another culprit oftentimes is gluten. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of the gluten-free foods are just as bad. Just because something says gluten-free doesn't mean it's necessarily a health food. So that right. can be a little confusing. And I'll just highlight... I don't even know that it's the gluten that is such a challenge. I think in many ways, like if you go have a baked bread in Europe, you're having a completely different family of wheat. And I have had clients travel and say, you know, I don't react when I'm in other countries, but I come back here and I react. And there's a lot of books that can point you towards those. And I'm happy to give you a list of those for your show notes so people can find those if they're interested. Yeah, let's do that. Um, But minimizing wheat and wheat products, particularly wheat that's been grown in the U.S. Corn is another crop that has just been treated terribly uh, in the U.S. Soy (laughs) is another one, Um, you know, to just be mindful about. Go organic and, you know, if you're going to have it and minimize it. Also, I would say to be very aware of oils, the oils that are going to rob energy from your body are those vegetable oils that were so in vogue years ago. Corn oil, vegetable oil, canola oil, sunflower oil. See, and they sound like, oh, sunflower oil. I love sunflowers. Like, what could be wrong with sunflower oil? They're so pretty. They're so pretty. But don't eat that oil. Eat the seeds, but not the oil. Um, safflower oil. And this is, these are unfortunately the oils that are showing up in many of the healthier and I'm making air quotes right now, quote-unquote healthier um, snack foods, and they're toxic. Wow. They're toxic. So the oils that you really want to be focusing on, particularly if you're feeling distress, anxiety, uh, panicky kinds of feelings, would be 
ghee, which is clarified butter. Oh, I love ghee. Right? Yeah. It's pretty magical. And there's a whole nervous system thing happens with ghee that is very nurturing and nourishing. And and just the whole, everything goes, ah. Coconut oil is another one that's very easily available. And avocado oil. And I cook with that one a lot. Yes. And I was going to say, as far as cooking, avocado, coconut, and ghee are the oils that you want to cook if you're, you know, heating things up. And olive oil, of course, is a great oil. However, over 350 degrees, it turns toxic. So use that on things that you're cooking very, very lightly or drizzle salad dressings, that kind of thing. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. It's a good thing to know. It oxidizes. And so then when you ingest it, it starts taking more energy than it gives you (laughs) little little tricks yeah yeah there's so much conflicting information when it comes to nutrition and like you should be vegetarian or you should be vegan or keto or I, I feel like there are you know fad diets and there's South Beach. Remember South Beach? I do remember South Beach and the zone diet, 40, 30, 30. And so it gets really overwhelming. Yes. Um, So fix that for us. (laughs) I love that. Just, could you just fix that? Fix it. This is actually one of the things I love to talk about because not even the experts can agree. Yeah. How can we as a population begin to even sort out any of this information when we can set three experts down at a table and they're going to argue with one another over what's right. So this is where it's like move away from what's right out there and anybody who tries to put a plan on top of you and wedge you into it, run. This is the change of the paradigm. Shift your attention inward and become very interested in how your unique body responds to things. So for example, you have found a vegetarian diet works really, really, really well for you. I would be crazy town if I sat here and told you that for your health, you should eat meat. Like that would just be such a disservice to you and, and your unique body. I do work with people. I was actually one of them. I was vegetarian for 10 years and I began to have dreams about meat. And it was, you know, like a five or six year ethical battle in my mind and heart to like, I don't understand what to do with this. And it was when I was pregnant with my son where it just became very real. I was anemic. I had no energy and I was crashing hard. And I was a Doritos vegetarian at the time. Like I didn't really get nutrition yet. It was part of my awakening to, I really need to pay attention. And for me, when I started adding in some animal-based protein, I, you know, I felt I was a completely different person. So again, making rules and then trying to put them on a population is not necessarily sound. So you might take the basis of an eating style that resonates with you. Mm -hmm. And I know people who completely identify themselves as vegetarian and even vegan who choose to have a serving of meat. I don't know. I have a friend every even couple years where she just intuitively gets that it's time and she knows that. Hmm. And she very mindfully, consciously takes care of that and then moves on. You know, and that's that's a pretty advanced kind of a a practice to just know that it's now is the time. (laughs) It's time. How she knows, I do not know. 
I leave that to her. Um, or for somebody who is, you know, really invested in the ketogenic diet, that's one of those diets right now. There are people who thrive on that diet. Mm-hmm. More fat than anything else. Animal protein, very secondly, right behind the fat and carbohydrates, really, really low. If that's working for you, don't listen to me. <laughs> listen to your body. And if it's not working for you and you're really entranced by the benefits of it, then it's time to really start to question. You might keep pieces of that that really do resonate, and then you might add in your own little spin to it based on how your body actually responds. Does that help? Totally makes so much sense. Again, you're being very reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) It only took me 15, 20 years to get here. It's been a bit of a walk, and I'm, I'm glad it feels reasonable. It's what just makes so much sense to me. Absolutely. But it's also very reassuring to know that it was a walk for you. Oh, it's been a total walk of like, yeah, there's been some really interesting moments along the walk. And, you know, most of what I've learned, I've learned through the school of hard knocks. And sometimes, you know, that school, it's not real pretty. There's moments to that where, you know, you come by your information in a very real, authentic way. But it's sometimes the only way to learn it. You know, somebody can tell you something over and over and over and over again. But until you have that embodied experience where you are just there with it, then it doesn't always hit home. That's true. And I think that's where I'm really trying to hold, you know, even in this conversation with, with all of you who are listening, you know, if you take one thing away to take away that internal frame of reference, begin to be your own curious, interested person about how things impact you. And I really just, it's it's empowering to people. You know, it's not that you don't need to listen to the experts. You can certainly take in what they're saying and give yourself space to practice it a little bit and see how it works for you. And if it doesn't work for you, it's not you that's the failure. It's the system that's the failure. How empowering to think that I am the expert on my body. Hell yeah. Right? Who else would be the expert on your body? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a responsibility to cherish and really take on, which sometimes that can be a little bit dicey. Sometimes it's like, please just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And that those aren't great clients for me. I'll refer them to somebody else because that's not the the work that I'm interested in doing. I'm really more interested in empowering people to really begin to take on that responsibility for themselves and their health and their lives and their food. Food's a great doorway in because it's a choice you make all the time. And when you start really referencing this way, you're going to notice other things in your life as well. Like, oh, I feel really not so good around this person. Or, you know, when I spend X number of minutes scrolling on any social platform, I start to feel a little anxious, you know, where you start getting that feedback and noticing in your own system how things work or don't work. It's just more intentionality, right? More awareness of your own body and what you want and don't want in the world. Yes. That's very profound. I mean, it starts with food, which, you know, is, is just sort of something you think, oh, yeah, I have to, you know, I have to feed myself. But it really is a profound statement on who we want to be in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of had my profound food moment around sugar, which was 
Oh, I love sugar. I love sugar so much. Four years ago? About four years ago. I was writing my book, uh, Not Just Me, about anxiety. And I kept reading all these articles would pop up. I was doing a lot of research on anxiety and pulling from a lot of different places. And all these articles kept showing up for me about the connections between anxiety and sugar. And I just ignored them all. (laughs) They kept showing (laughs) up for me. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not interested in that because I love icing. And they kept showing up and showing up and showing up. And finally, I'm like, damn it, I should really read one of these articles because (laughs) it's everywhere. So I read one of the articles and basically it's just there's no question about it that sugar is a big culprit when it comes to anxiety. And sugar can trigger stress hormones in the body that can mimic a panic attack. And so mind-body connection, mind-body, same thing. So what can happen is the body can start to feel like it's having a panic attack. Heart rate can start going up. You can start getting a little short of breath. And the mind will go, oh my God, we're panicking. And suddenly it starts this cycle of panicking because I ate ice cream. And so I did a 10-day sugar detox for the book, entirely for the book. I thought, well, this will be interesting research for the book. Uh, There's no way that I would have done it otherwise, but, you know, I have to write about something. I, I might as well do this little experiment on my own body. So I did the sugar detox for 10 days, and it was awful. It was terrible. The first three days, I was absolutely miserable. I was cranky. I couldn't sleep well. I was itchy. Like I was in withdrawal. Legit. (laughs) Yeah, it's real. So, and just emotionally, like I was crying all the time. I just decided I was a complete failure at my life. It was really, really rough. And then day four, I kind of felt a little more clear. And day five, I went to yoga and my yoga practice was kind of awesome. And then, I, you know, as I, I got kind of down the road in, in my 10 days, I was like, I actually, wow, I actually feel pretty good. And then it was about day nine and I had dinner planned and I had all of these beautiful, amazing vegetables that I was cooking for dinner and I was making a stir fry and I put this teriyaki sauce on it and I was all excited. We had dinner, went to bed. I woke up the next morning sobbing. I was miserable. My life was awful and the world was just doomed and I felt terrible. I... (laughs) My husband was in the bathroom brushing his teeth at 6.30 in the morning, and I was yelling at him. (laughs) The poor man. And somewhere in the middle of all that, I thought, huh, this is odd. Like, this is, this is a bit much, even for me. I'm an emotional, sensitive person, but yelling at my husband at 6.30 in the morning is a bit much, even for me. Before you've even left your bed. Before I've left my bed. (laughs) Gosh, there's something going on here. And so I did essentially what Cecily was just saying, like, think about what food choices you've made. And so I did that. And I thought, like, huh, 
I wonder what's in teriyaki sauce. And I went downstairs and opened the fridge and the ingredients read soy sauce, sugar. And so it was kind of this amazing blind test in which I realized that I really did emotionally crash with sugar. And my poor husband recovered and Jeremy was like, well, you know, at least, you know, it's real. (laughs) He was a believer after that. Bless that man. Bless that man. So it really took that experience for me to realize that I am very sensitive to sugar and that it does make my anxiety worse and it makes me just feel not good. You know, I absolutely abide by 80-20. So, you know, I'm not a monster. Sometimes I'm going to have a cupcake. It's just going to happen. But, you know, if I feel a little weepy or strange later, I'll be like, oh, yeah, cupcake. And I will take a bath. Going to go do the things that have me not around other people. You can self-care at that point because you understand. Yes. And I don't get into the spiral of, oh, I must just be crazy. I'm such a terrible person, blah, 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 and go down into that miserable place. Yeah, that's the empowering thing. And when you start to understand how things impact you like that, sugar, that's a really great example. You get to choose. So you know that you have an important family event, speaking engagement, interview, date, whatever it should be the next day, you understand the kinds of choices you would make on your own best behalf. Sometimes you make them, sometimes you don't, and then you get to experience, you know, how that goes and learn a little bit more (laughs) the next time because you won't always make them, you know, quote unquote, the way that you would most like to. And over time, you start to really get yourself a track record of, you know, I would love to have some of that cake. I'm going to choose not to right now because I've got a really big day tomorrow and I'm going to choose from that place of knowing that I want to be really sharp. But I would love a piece to go and I will have it tomorrow night after the event or, you know, whatever it is. Like you can, you can sort it out. You can moderate it. You can moderate it. And that's the empowering thing where you get to be much more in the driver's seat Mm -hmm. around the choice and the impact and, you know, how that affects X, Y, Z and all the way down the road. So something that I would love to discuss just before we finish up is this idea of, of body image and how we feel about this body that we're walking around in. I, I feel very lucky seeing as I grew up as a child actor and spent a very long time in Hollywood that I, I do not have disordered eating. Yeah. Um, I, I never did the anorexia bulimia thing, even though that was something that, that happened around me quite frequently. But I know that that is huge for so many people. And even if it's not full-blown anorexia um, or full-blown disorder, just this idea that we're not always very nice about our own bodies. We're always tending to pick on them or want them to be different or feel ashamed of how we look. And... So I would love to talk about that a, a little bit and, you know, I, and how that changes over time. I'm 40 now and I have started noticing like, oh, things are a little bit different. Yeah. I've always been fairly slim and 
could eat whatever I wanted and it didn't make a difference. And I'm 40 now and it is no longer the case. (laughs) So how do we deal with kind of maybe some of the emotions around our bodies and body image and how do we deal with that when when that changes over time whether it's age or or pregnancy or illness or whatever we might be dealing with it's such an important conversation and it's one that is so needed right now and you know when you bring up disorders like an anorexia or a bulimia or an eating disorder I would say that all of us fall onto the spectrum at some point around disordered thinking, you know, all the way into, you know, a a disorder. And, you know, just to begin to understand how it's so insidious. Yeah. And this is part of the, you know, like we were talking about a little bit ago, bringing what's unconscious to the conscious. Mm. So, you know, when you, I can't, tell you too many women that don't have a place on their body that they either apologize for out loud and I hear it you know when I was teaching a lot a lot of yoga and I've been in the fitness sphere for a while and I have the privilege of working with people you know that it might be like oh I'm really sorry I'm not flexible in my hamstrings and it might be something even as much you know to the more like you know I'm sorry I I hate my hips or you know I don't wear this kind of a you know, I always wear my sweatshirt because I don't want anybody to be bothered by my stomach. You know, it's like this way that we can't show up and just be in our form, in our shape, that we have to apologize for it or cover up. And that is just such a sad... It is. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And, you know, I'm 48. And yeah, you're right. You know, it the game does start to change. And um one of the practices that I love is, you know, I put lotion on every day. And as I'm putting lotion on, there's that way that I'll just catch my mind, like making an observation or a nasty comment. And it's stopping the comment and choosing to override it with something else. Like it just happened today. I was putting lotion on my thighs and I think, oh, God, they're dimpling when I rub. <laughs> and I was like down the rabbit hole and I stopped And I put more lotion on my hands and I came back and I said, oh my gosh, legs, I love you so much. Thank you for the exercise we just did. I hope the lotion nourishes you. I'm so grateful for you. And it's like shifting that moment of where you want to annihilate something or make it wrong that it's a certain way to come back and touch again. Like, no. I am so, I mean, these are 48 year old legs that just did an amazing workout. Like, this is amazing that I have legs like this that are strong and able. Why would I say mean things to them? Yeah. And then starting to break it down a little bit and, you know, bringing it up around my stomach and just thank you, body, for producing two children. Thank you for digesting the food. Thank you for all the things that on a daily basis, I think how much I learn from my gut, like how much I trust my gut instinct. Why would I malign that part of my body? There's so much magic there. Like the shift to gratitude is so powerful. It is. And it takes the willingness to one, let it come to consciousness and really start to identify that inner mean girl. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's mean. <laughs> she she's mean. really nasty. And 
know that it's never going to be completely gone, that you're going to have opportunities to practice this multiple times a day. So if you get really good at it and you make it till noon and you slide off, focus on the point where it's like, oh my gosh, I really did well. I was so kind to myself. And tomorrow, you know, maybe I'll go to two instead of just to noon. And, you know, keep practicing. Take it up as a personal practice. Self-kindness, which is difference from self-indulgent. Self-kindness is the way you would pet a kitten. It's the way you would handle a new baby. It's the way you would pick up a puppy and tell them they're just the most scrumptious thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Because in that moment, it's true. You know, to bring that into your own self-care. Such an important lesson. Not easy. Not easy. Simple. Yes. But not easy. Any final thoughts you want to leave us with? I would say that if you're here listening to my friend Lisa, what I know about you is that you are soulful and deep. And I know that you are deeply kind. And I'm going to cry. I feel that wave of emotion coming as I tap into your listeners, Lisa. And that you would bring into your heart the same kind of grace that you bring to the people and the animals and the earth around you and shine that light on you. Well, now we're both just sitting in a closet crying. I love it. Yeah. I I love these moments in life where it's like so good. My heart can burst wide open and the tears can come. I just feel such gratitude, Lisa, for your friendship and for the opportunity to be with you and your you're amazing listeners. You've got an incredible tribe. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here, and I'm so grateful for you. I love you. I love you, too. If people want to find more from you, I will put links in the show notes, but tell them how they can find you and work with you. Awesome. So I have a website, cecilyarmstrong.com. And it's C-E-C-I-L-Y armstrong.com. And I also have a podcast called Life with Heart. And you can find me on any of the podcasting platforms. And of course, on social media, I'm on Instagram at the Cecily Armstrong and Facebook as well. And Lulu is here. Her tongue is sticking out, which just makes her even cuter than imaginable. So I think this has been a great episode. Closet, good friend, great conversation, an adorable dog, and hot chocolate. It's pretty good. Come on. How good can life get? I tell ya. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Go to embraceyourweirdpodcast.com. Show notes. We will put some of our favorite nutrition books up on the site there so that you can find them. I will see you next time. Keep it weird, everybody.